Let's begin with verse 1 of Psalm 63. We'll read to the end of the psalm, verse 11. Hear the word of the Lord. O God, You are my God. Earnestly I seek You. My soul thirsts for You. My flesh faints for You, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon You in the sanctuary, beholding Your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. From the very first time that I walked through the doors of this uh, church building and met the family of Alts Chapel until now, more than 12 years later, I've wanted one thing above everything else for the people of Alts Chapel, that we would be a people who hungers and thirsts after God. In fact, I was asked on that uh, that first day when I was candidating here, the young adults had a Sunday school class over in the fellowship hall, The question was asked, what do you hope for in a church? I had asked them, what do you hope for in a pastor? They they responded, what do you hope for in a church? And I I pointed them to Exodus 33 and the prayer of Moses there, please show me your glory. It's that hunger and thirst, that insatiable longing after God. So that continues to be my passion and it continues to be my plea to the Lord that He would make us a church family that hungers and thirsts after God and God alone. Today, as we look at Psalm 63, we're going to look at the song of David's heart. That will be followed by the source of his song. First the song, then the source of that song, or to put it another way, first we see the cry of his heart, and then what compels him to cry out to the Lord as he does. Let's read verse 1 again. O God, You are my God. Earnestly I seek You. My soul thirsts for You. My flesh faints for You as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. We need to be clear that our emotions are far too fickle and our sin, indwelling sin, is far too present for us to realistically feel as David right here, right now, feels in the wilderness all the time. It is not realistic that we would feel all the time as David feels because our emotions are too fickle and because of indwelling sin. But it is impossible that a Christian would never feel this longing. And it is utterly confounding that someone who has been born from above would only have this longing after God Rarely. So simply put, here's my question. Can you relate? 
Can you relate to David's hunger and thirst after God? Does his plea find within your heart an echo? Is it in you? Do you raise the cry yourself? Before I move any further, let's take a note of the setting, the background of this psalm. David is on the run. You can see it in the title. It says, when he was in the wilderness of Judah. And because of what he says in verse 11, the king shall rejoice in God, I believe that the occasion for this running is when his son Absalom is after him. This is not before he becomes king when Saul is after him. But in this time of his kingly career, it's it's in the latter part of his career, and he has been forced to run because of his son Absalom bringing door, uh, war to his doorstep and vying for David's throne. David has abandoned the refuge of Jerusalem, and he has hundreds upon hundreds of souls with him in the wilderness. Provisions are very few. Rationing is the order of the day. And men are going without so that the women and the children and the elderly may be sustained. How far the king has fallen who can't find any water, who can't get it to drink. But this is one of the things that we love about David. And I think that all of God's people really want to emulate. Whenever you find David, whether before he is king or after, Whenever you find David deprived of the basics of life, it's not the basics that he wants. It's God. His heart, his soul, his flesh is not famished for the food and for the water that is in such poor supply. He is famished for God. That's the desire that consumes him. He wants God. Though his children are going to turn against him, though the kingdom seems like it's going to fall, he knows that his God will take him in. Though everyone else turns against him, God will take him in, and that is the source of his joy. He begins his song with the most fundamental thing he can say. Look at back at verse 1, first part of it. He says, Oh God, you are my God. This is such a simple statement. And I mean, you really could read it in a monotone way, and I suppose not get it, but you can see, you can, you can hear the passion of David's cry coming through loud and clear. Oh God, you are my God. Such a simple statement. But there are, that being said, there are layers of profundity to what he says. And yet, it's so simple that even a child from the heart can make this good confession. Oh God, you are my God. Multitudes choose otherwise. They seek after other gods. They're hoping in other salvations. They're they're looking for other satisfaction for their souls. But no matter what anyone else does, oh God, you are my God. Because there is none besides you, and none for me but you. Oh God, you are my God. Do you pray like this? Such a simple statement. So easily memorized. I've said it four or five times. I'm sure that you could say it exactly word for word right now. Do you pray like this? Do you cry out 
earnestly to God. You are my God. I know what the others are choosing. I know the way that my heart is tempted to go, but here is the truth. You are my God, and you alone do you pray like this. Our God is infinitely great. We we use words, but we know that no words that we could ever have, words couldn't do Him justice. He is infinitely great. And if God is infinitely great, do you earnestly seek Him? David pours out his heart, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Look at the words he uses. My soul, my flesh. Every part of David, soul and flesh, immaterial and material parts of him, are alike altogether engaged in seeking after God. He is all consumed with God. What is the one thing that you put everything into? What is the great passion of your life? What do you love above all? What is the one thing that you put everything into? It doesn't matter who you are. Make it knowing God. Make that one thing knowing God. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how much or how little you know of the Word. Make it all of your life knowing God. And I promise you, see, you might be sitting here and answering the question, can you relate, with a no. No, I don't relate. I don't know those feelings. I don't know those passions, longings, however you want to put it, in my heart and in my prayer life. I want you to know something, though. I make this promise to you. The more of God you see, the more longing and passion and affection there will be behind all of your seeking. So start. Because the more of Him you see, the more you will desire to seek Him. And though it might seem really big and difficult at the beginning, like that sounds like a lot of work, our God is infinitely great. What, what seeking is worth Him if it's half-hearted? Make knowing Him the great passion of your life. David writes in verse 2, So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. As I read these verses through again, I want to encourage you to look down at the Bible in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible open in front of you, there's a Bible in the pew there. Please be there at Psalm 63. Again, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. So we have seen the cry of David's heart. That's verse 1. Now right away we're getting into what compels him to cry out this way. There's the song, verse 1. Here's the source of his song in verse 2. David's explaining his longing. See, he went into the tent of meeting. That structure called the tabernacle. He went into the tent of meeting and there he beheld God. His power and his glory. Later years, a few decades down the road, not too long, that tabernacle would be replaced by the temple and that's where the Old Testament saints would go. 
to behold the power and the glory of God. Not that they got into that most holy place room that was reserved for the high priest on one day of the year and he had to go in with a sacrifice of blood. Even David couldn't get into that room where the Ark of the Covenant was. But he would go into the tent of meeting, later sent into the temple, and they would behold the power and the glory of God. What does that mean for you and me today? Where do we go as New Testament, not Old Testament Christians? Where do we go? I would die a very happy man if the people that I love would understand as a core conviction and just like a, just the automatic reflex of their hearts, the centrality of Jesus, that He is everything. You see, when I read in the Psalms, and you read this all over the place in the Psalms, they, they speak of this, this, uh, let me read it here, what I have. This longing and the seeking and the finding and the beholding and the praising and exalting in the glory of God. And they connect all of that glory to the temple. We as New Testament Christians are not being ushered into a building or to a room that we call the sanctuary. Maybe better should call it the auditorium or something like that. That's not what we're being ushered into, not some structure. We are being ushered to the feet of Jesus. Because He is the fulfillment of all that the temple meant and that it signified. Because where was the dwelling place of the glory of God? It was in the temple. And we sang it actually a little bit ago, and I read about it in Colossians, that in Jesus we find the fullness of the glory of God dwelling. He is the image of the invisible God. When we talk about the face of God, the radiance of His glory, what are we talking about? Not an actual eyes, ears, mouth, nose. When we talk about the face of God, we are talking about the person of Jesus. And so when David speaks of beholding His glory, in the sanctuary, to us, it's putting us right to the feet of Jesus. You see, the Old Testament saints, Psalm 84 is another example. They talked about having highways in their hearts to Zion. It's where they were going. That's their, their, their longing. Their highways in their hearts to Zion. Jerusalem, the city of God, where the temple was, where the glory could be found. We have highways in our hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. The Old Testament saints would sing out Psalm 29. They would gather in the temple and they would sing out this one word, glory. And we are being put at the feet of Jesus because it's in His face with the eyes of our hearts we behold the fullness of the glory of God. Because all the breathtaking glory of God is found in Him. So Christian, if you would behold the power and the glory of God that David speaks of in verse 2, you must go where that glory is found. Jesus Christ, God's Son, who came to this earth and by His life and death and resurrection redeemed us and reconciled us to God. You go to Jesus. There you find the glory of God. David, 
Can you explain for us a little bit more what you mean and why you sing and why you long for God's glory? Verse 3. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Steadfast love. One of the very key crucial words in the Old Testament scriptures. It's all over the scriptures, particularly in the Psalms. And there's, there's nothing that would make the saints sing more than the steadfast love of God. It's the ever deep and ever true covenant love of God for his own. Steadfast love. I, I bet that a, a whole bunch of you could relate to this. For years, all that I have wanted is to know that God loves me. That's all that I want. I want to know God loves me. And I'm not talking like God loves His creation, which He does. The, 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 the natural world that he called into existence. And I'm not even talking like God loves anyone and everyone, and he does love anyone and everyone. But God, God's love for me as his own. I've just wanted to know that God loves to have me. Not just that he loves me, but he loves me as his own, and that he loves to have me as his own, and he has no regrets that he made me his own. No matter what I do, think, or say, that and all, you know, prone to wander, Lord, we feel it, prone to leave the God we love. That's all that I've wanted, really, is to know that God loves me. And this here is the truth that tells me this. It's has said, his steadfast love. How does the New Testament put this? You can read about it in Paul. Not any of the apostles, really. But it's God's love and grace for his own in Christ. So Paul talks about, he says, you can know this love. You can know it truly. And you can know it deeply. But you will never get to the end of it. Plumb the depths of his love. And you are never going to hit the bottom. Someone might say, what about in eternity? What, what, what about when we're with the Lord and the new heavens and the new earth? Nope. Not even then. You're never going to get to the bottom of His love. Scale the heights of His love. You will never reach the peak of His love. There is no end to His love. And on and on, all through eternity, we'll go, we'll, we'll go on plumbing the depths and scaling the heights, but not getting to the end of it. It's His endless love for us. Wouldn't you rather die being born up by this love alone than be a happy and healthy Methuselah without it. And Methuselah probably had it, I'm just saying. Wouldn't you? What is a, what is a long, healthy life that even would go on a millennium without the steadfast love of God? That's why David sings as he does. Because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. This is why the saint said, one day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. 
New Testament Christians, one day at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ is better than a thousand elsewhere. This is why Moses resolved that suffering with Christ is greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. It's because his steadfast love is better than life. And if God's steadfast love is mine, and he is actually after me, he's pursuing me with this love, I gladly give in. I gladly surrender to this love. Listen to the words of Psalm 23. Maybe you'll hear these words in a new way for the first time. This is how it ends, almost ends. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Now, you don't change Psalm 23 or you will have the majority of the church turning on you. You don't change the translation, the words. But these are what the words mean. Surely, goodness and steadfast love shall pursue me all the days of my life. Goodness and mercy, that is goodness and steadfast love, are after you who are the Lord's. He is after you with His love. He is hunting you down with His love. He is holding you captive with His love. And that is true freedom. This is the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We are held captive by the steadfast love of God. If you are in Christ, not only can you not escape the divine presence, because He is omnipresent everywhere without limit, but you cannot escape the divine pursuit. You can't escape the divine presence and you can't escape the divine pursuit after you. He's coming after His own with His steadfast love. He knows you to the bottom of you. And He loves you to the bottom of Him. And if you're being extra discerning and intuitive or whatever, you might say the bottom of Him, He's infinite. Exactly. He knows you to the bottom of you and He loves you to the bottom of Him. So what do you do? What do you say to this? David's words in verse 4 are so fitting. I'm going to pick up the pace in case you're wondering. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. If His love is for all of my life, then I will bless Him meaning I will praise and worship Him. I will glory in Him as long as I live. My soul, it says in verses 5-7, to quickly, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. I know you're thinking about fat and rich food for your belly. This is for your soul. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed, Think of David safe and secure in the palace. And meditate on you in the watches of the night. Think of David in the wilderness on the run from Absalom. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. David is on the run. He's scrambling to evade Absalom and scrambling to provide for those who are with him. And, and remember something. This situation that David is in is the offshoots of his former sins. The sins that he had committed 
against Bathsheba and with Bathsheba and against Uriah and against the kingdom and ultimately, first and foremost, and even to the last, against God. These are the offshoots of his sin. But listen, his sin is behind him. And so is the Lord. And the Lord is before him. And underneath David are the everlasting arms. And above him is the shadowing shelter of the wings of God. Sin may be behind, but the Lord is behind, before, above, underneath, and all around him. This is David's refuge. Do you remember when Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem? Remember what he said? He said, Oh, Jerusalem. Actually, this is before he came into the city. Quick clarification. He said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And you, he said, he wept. You were not willing. You were not willing. Well, this is the difference between the Jerusalem of Jesus' day and David a thousand years before. And this is the difference between all the people of God who have been made alive by the Spirit in Christ and the unbelieving world. This is the difference. We are willing. They were not willing. We are willing. This is our life. This is our joy. And this is our peace to take refuge under the shadowing shelter of the wings of God. Because when we know that we are there, we're always there. But when we know, when the promise is the conviction of our hearts, even on those wilderness nights, when doubts and fears and all kinds of things are prowling against you in your mind, this is the reassurance of your soul. And this is why you sing. That's why David said, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. He said, I don't have anything to eat. Barely had any water to drink. This wilderness is the pits. But I have God. God is everything. He is all that I need and He is all that I want. And isn't this the cry of your heart? This is where we are willing. We want to be with God. And we want God. More than we want food in the fellowship hall. More than we ever want food again. More than we want another breath. We, the people of God, want Him. He is the all-consuming desire of our souls. This is a fat and rich food. A feast for our souls. Verse 8 question, is David going to make it? David has so many trials and tribulations in his life. Is he going to make it to the end? Is he going to make it to glory with his faith intact? Is he going to keep on to the end singing the good song and making the good confession? Well, here is, here's the answer to those questions. And if, if you need a good verse to believe, to defend, the, the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, this is it. Verse 8, My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. This is what faith does. This is what the people of God do. This, what, this defines us. 
Our souls cling to God. But listen, if we are left to ourselves, to our own devices and to our own strength, if we are left to ourselves to just give all of our effort and all of our willpower, not a one of us is going to make it to glory if we are left to ourselves. Not a one of us. If we are left to ourselves, all the clinging to God that we do, they won't do it. You know how often your heart, being fickle, wanders from the Lord and the strong, deep feelings for God grow tired and they grow cold to Him. And there are times because of life circumstance where it feels like your soul's clinging is just desperately grasping after air. You're all sweaty-palmed and you can't hold on to Him. But God is not desperate. And He does not grow weary. And He He's not wearied by the circumstances of your life. And He is not wearied by you. Some of you need to hear that. You think God's had it up to here with me and He's done. No, He does not grow weary of His own. We can grieve Him, but He does not go, grow weary of His, of us. You can't sap His strength and you can't drain His love for His own. All that is in Him, that is for you, is of infinite supply. That is our God. That's what it means that He is boundless, endless, infinite. So listen. You can sleep, lay down your head at night, and preach against those fears and those worries, worries, and you can sleep because your God does not. You can sleep because He doesn't. It's no wonder that Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Last of all, But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. And David did not laugh at that. If you remember his response after he heard that Absalom, his son, was dead, killed against his orders, it broke his heart. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt, for all, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. No matter what you're suffering in this life, you cannot be defeated, people of God. You cannot be defeated. In the words of Romans 8, we are more than conquerors. How are you, how can you be more than a conqueror? That's what the Bible says. So great is the victory of the people of God by the power of God. We are more than conquerors. You can't be defeated. David knew who he was. He was king. God had made him king. He was God's anointed. So Absalom said he's not going to be king for long. And all the nation, much of the nation, was saying, no, he won't be. Not if we have anything to say about it. So civil war was coming. But David knew who he was by God. And he knew that he would be vindicated. And child of God, you will too. You will be vindicated in the end. It will be proven that you are more than a conqueror in the end. As we sang a little while ago, He is getting us safely to that golden shore. 
We are more than conquerors. We are the heirs of God and we will reign with Christ. So no matter what this world hurls against us, we can be strong in the power of God and in the strength of His might. We we continue on with our hearts seeking after God and being consumed with Him. What are the longings of your heart? 99% of my pastoral anxieties would completely evaporate if all those whom I love at All's Chapel hungered and thirsted after God because this is everything for us. Do the longings of your heart lead to Him? Is He your passion? Or do other desires drive your life? David's earnest, all-consuming longing for Him, his thirsting after God alone. Do you relate? And maybe you might sit here and say, no, I don't relate. So here is the power of the Gospel. This is what I want you to get. You can You can relate to exactly what David is expressing. You can feel this cry within your heart and you can feel it today. Please believe it. You can relate to what he is saying. This doesn't have to be foreign language to you. If you are alive in Christ, this is yours in him. If you are not alive in Jesus, if you are not reconciled to God in him, then come today. Then come to him. Sinner, come home. Whether you're a believer or not, sinner, let's, all of us sinners, let's come home and find grace in God. Because there is grace enough. There is grace boundless. Grace free. His grace isn't going anywhere. You turn around. It's right there. You have left. He doesn't leave. This is the truth of steadfast love. Sinner, come home. We believe this. It's right here. We see His glory in the Word. Would you refuse Him still? Don't refuse Him. Turn around. He is right there. Though all others forsake you, He will. It's His Word. He will take you in. Wipe your heart clean of all your sin and make you His forever. Let's pray. Oh God, I pray that every heart and every soul would belong to You. Oh God, I pray that by Your power, the power of Your Word, You would bring the conviction. Whatever obstruction we have in our hearts, clear it out. The cares of this world, passions for other things, trivial things... Clear it out from our hearts and put your word there. Put your truth there. Make your home in us. Take up your residence in us. I pray, my Father, that we would all turn to Jesus. And Lord, if we turn to Him every day, let us turn this day too. And until our final breath, I pray that we would be turned to Christ. 
And there may be someone here, Father, whose confidence in Jesus and His power to save them has been shattered because of their hard heart. It's shattered because of the sin that they have been in. The sin that they haven't given up. But oh God, today, I pray that the power of the Gospel would come home and they would know that You love Him. You love her. And Your love and Your grace abounds over all of our sin. Bring all of us sinners home to You. I ask in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen.